0: Welcome to our special monthly episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast. This month we're featuring multiple guests speaking to ways we can be like salt and light in the world wherever we go, and how living a life that puts others first can also bring peace and light to our own lives. Every good deed that we put out into the world builds off one another to help make the world a better place. Whenever we can be a light to others, or bring tangible resources to people who aren't in a place to provide it to themselves, we are following Christ's command to love others as He first loved us. We'll share inspiring stories from people who found a way to give back, starting with former Bachelor contestant and founder of Generous Coffee, Ben Higgins.
1: When I look at business or when I look at my life, it's just saying yes to new opportunities that I know will enter me into stories that I never would be a part of unless I said yes. So The Bachelor happened, this really great, cool thing that handed me a million and a half people on social media. I didn't know what to do with it. I was confused and a little lost at the time. And we had already been starting to work in Honduras with the nonprofit. And so my buddy and I just went on a trip to kind of get away from it all up here. So we just got a car and we drove through Honduras. And on the drive, we were talking about uh, Humanity and Hope United, which is the nonprofit, and how many great things is going on with the organization. And so we started thinking of the idea that we could actually form a company, sell products that are sustainably sourced, And then we could just donate the profits to the nonprofit to help this fundraising engine continue. And this was all going on in a drive through Honduras and we happened that evening to pull up to a coffee plantation. And we walked out and saw coffee for the first time. And when we left there, my buddy and I, Riley, said, I think this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna start a coffee company. And we're gonna source coffee that has a story behind it. So it's single origin, it's traceable, it's specialty grade. Uh, we're gonna sell that coffee back in the U.S. We're gonna figure out how to do it. We did, had no clue. And we'll just donate 100% of the profits to nonprofits in need, with Humanity and Hope United being our main beneficiary. We started right away, we're three years in now. We have two coffee shops. We have a really healthy online business. We sell T-shirts now that are made out of plastic water bottles and jewelry made by women in the Dominican Republic, so it's expanded. And, and the hope is that, is that we can be a fundraising engine for years to come that we can help these nonprofits flourish and focus on their mission and vision uh, while we do kind of the fundraising work. And so when I look at business or when I look at my life, it's just saying yes to new opportunities that I know will enter me into stories that I never would be a part of unless I said yes. And we'll see where that takes me. I believe it was Jesus's mission is to reach out to those who are hurting, to allow us to know that we're not alone that there's a God that loves us and cares about us and will go far out of his desired way to, to help us know that. That's a story I've heard since I was little. But there is a unique moment in my life where that became reality. We've done work in Honduras for years and my buddies and I have gone down for now 15 years and worked with these communities and these people and built really great relationships. And about eight years ago, we put in a water well in a community called La Carosa, It's right outside of El Progreso, Honduras. And uh, about six months later, we went down on a trip and one of my friends who lives in the community was sitting there and uh, she's 35 years old. And I just asked her, what's it been like to have clean water? Like, this is pretty cool, right? And she looked at me with tears in her eyes because she has three kids and she said, been for the first time in 35 years, I've woken up without a stomachache. That for the first time in 35 years, I feel alive. And it was that moment that I remember again, one of those worldview breaking moments, We're just the, I mean, I've been around these people at that point for years and I never had recognized, I never had empathized, I never had understood that these people in these communities are sick all the time. They feel sick all the time. And so it was this moment when she told me her story, that it hit me that if I have one life calling, if I have one job to do, that whatever it is, I want it to turn to stories like hers that those are the stories that matter. It's not because I'm some great human, it's because those are the stories that make us feel alive, that make us feel like we're human, that help us connect with something a a lot deeper and a lot greater than ourselves. And so it was those moments that I said, for the rest of my life, if I can enter into stories like hers, then I know I'm fulfilling a purpose that is far greater than myself.
0: Tom and Pam Banwart, a couple who found a way to help first responders during the COVID-19 pandemic, by delivering bagels to hospitals and praying for the staff.
2: When
3: when COVID-19 hit, we had really, we didn't know what to do, we were afraid. It, It was like, you know, where do we fall? What do we think, what do we do? And the thought that just kept coming to me was what a wonderful opportunity for us as Christians that God gave us this chance to fight the spiritual battle. I just kept coming up with more and more ideas. And I realized that I wasn't a man of action. That was a guy of ideas. And my job has always been, I'll give you the ideas, now you go take it and run. And I needed to become a man of action. I needed to put these ideas to work myself, you know, uh, and quit expecting other people to pick up the ball and run with it. And uh, that, that's really how things got started, I, you know.
2: Initially, uh, we kind of looked at each other when all this started. Um, and we weren't sure how we the two of us were going to survive with, you know, when they put everything on lockdown, you know, how the two of us were going to survive, you know, really sure. alone um, around the clock, 24-7 for an indefinite period. And I remember saying to Tom, ah, oh, you know, 30 days, we can handle it. Well, it's been a lot of 30 days, and um, so much cool stuff has happened in 30 days. That's the beauty of it. So um, I began to just pray for some comfort and some peace and praying about what can we do just to retired people with pre-existing health conditions so he gets the ideas, and um, we started running with him. Our concerns we a lot of the ideas that he came up with were things that we thought we could do as just two people and keep ourselves safe that was yeah that was the biggest thing was how do we how can we help and be safe
3: the community had done a, a park and pray at the hospitals in the area and and we live in kind of a country county and there's there's three hospitals really we went to that and we were kind of moved by that and thought that was pretty terrific. It was like, you know what? In America, we're really good at doing one and done. You know, we're really good at the big event, okay? But the reality is that these people are going to work every day. And uh, they were having to be the preachers and the moms and the dads. You know, nobody's allowed in. Uh, they're having to be absolutely everything and they're stepping up and doing it. And so we started doing the bagels. and. I said, you know, we can do this, but, you know, we, we, we can't do it just one time. We need to do it every week.
2: And so we, we it took a lot of phone calls and, you know, people to talk to because there were requirements. You know, we had to have a mask. We weren't allowed in the hospitals. Um, social distance. Social distance. We had to call ahead of time and tell them when we were coming. We get the bagels from, you know, one of the big bagel companies and. And you know, that's a curbside
3: pickup. Yeah. The, the deliveries are made outside of the sidewalk.
2: And with the bagels, too, we um, always write um, a note of encouragement, a note of, of thanks, encouragement. We sometimes put a Bible verse in there. And um, we have had commitments from several local churches, which has really been a blessing. We were delivering bagels one morning, and we were talking with um, the gals at the big hospital. And um, they shared with us that they had uh, just um, brought in 50 FEMA nurses to care for the COVID patients. Um, Because
3: their their people were so tired and worn out.
2: It was that information that stirred, again, the information guy, Tom, to the idea of praying outside of the hospital. And so he asked if that would be okay. And um, I think they were kind of surprised um, because we weren't talking about another big park and pray with cars of people. He was talking about just the two of us sitting outside the hospital somewhere um, and just praying for you know the, the people um, that were working there, all of the staff, um, the patients that were in the hospital, um, the families of the patients. It, it was, we, we didn't know anybody at the hospital. We didn't know anybody in that particular hospital. It was just his idea that, you know, maybe something visual on a regular basis and so that people know that there's people praying for him. And so <laughs> from that, uh, we started going to the hospital.
3: It just really hit me that, that we these people needed to see something consistent. You know, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me in my life has been the consistency of Christ, okay? Is He has consistently been there, no matter what I've done, where I've been, or anything. He's been there. And they needed to know that they had that too, okay? And if it was just two goofballs, you know, a guy that hasn't had a haircut in seven months, and, uh, you know, his wife's sitting there with a sign that says praying on a couple of lawn chairs. That's what we would do.
2: It was so emotionally charged and so powerful. The need for this to happen was loud and clear. And we both felt really, really inadequate because, you know, we're just two people. What can we do? You know, and, and you know, we weren't chasing people down in the parking lot. We just sat in the little designated spot and as as we saw things, we would look at each other and we would pray.
3: You know what, we'll keep suiting up and we'll keep showing up and and keep doing what we've got to do. And and, and I prayed to God that some more ideas come. And I just hope that the Christian population realizes that we've got warriors in these hospitals. I mean, These guys are warriors, man. I mean, they are suiting up and showing up every day. You know, we need to strengthen these folks. We need to help them any way that we can.
2: You know, this has stirred both of us and we'll just keep on going wherever there's a need.
0: Holly Hayes, a survivor of sex trafficking and the founder of The Sanctuary Project, which helps women who have come out of sex trafficking find hope, healing, and meaningful work.
4: By 15, I was drinking and using drugs every day. By 16, I had dropped out of high school and uh, had my first of five abortions. I ended up in my first abusive relationship at that point as well. By 18, I was getting arrested all the time. By 19, I met my trafficker. And uh, you know, I, I met him at a party and, and I immediately was drawn to him and he immediately was drawn to me. So by 21, I was homeless, addicted completely lost, completely broken. And I was on the floor of a public bathroom, just crying and watching my tears hit the floor one, one day, and three words fell out of my mouth. I said, God help me. And I'd never believed in God. I had no experience with God. I, I didn't know any God people. I, wasn't, I wasn't, uh, wasn't looking for God, but it was all I could think to say or pray in that moment. And that very night, I ended up meeting someone who got me into a recovery program. Over the years, I started sharing my story more and just seeing more and more women um, fall into tears as they heard their story too. And I began to build a community of women that I was mentoring and, and just working with and loving on and Um, Most of those women are uh, incarcerated when I meet them, and so I go into the jails, and I I tell my story, and I teach about trafficking, and and then I'm able to develop a relationship with them while they're in, and then help to advocate for them when they're coming out, and help them to find safe housing and and get connected with all the resources they need. The biggest resource I saw missing was employment. I found that girls who had a lot of trauma around work, which we do coming out of sex trafficking— had so much trouble than going and just getting a job at a gas station or at Taco Bell. There's so much trauma around work and around servitude and um, having to obey a boss. There's a lot of trauma that can come up for women. And so again and again, I saw women struggling and failing when it came to rebuilding their lives. And a lot of it was around this employment piece. And so for years, I saw these issues and this pattern repeating in women's lives and and really just started to dream of a place that could employ women and be that safe landing place and be that place where women can find hope and restoration and healing around identity and work. So I built Sanctuary Project in February of 2018, and we started growing quite quickly. And so a little bit about the jewelry, everything in the line is meant to evoke a feeling of sanctuary. I think we all find sanctuary in different places. For me, I love old churches, old cathedrals, and so I just love that feeling of sitting in a literal sanctuary. But I think other people find sanctuary maybe in nature or you know, for a lot of our girls just in having their chains broken and, and being free from jail, maybe that's their sanctuary. When I started Sanctuary Project, I knew I wanted to do a daily devotional time with the girls and and to start each day just with a little teaching, but something simple and something for them to digest wherever they're at in their spiritual journey. There's this softness and openness that starts to happen in them where a lot of girls have become willing to explore faith as a result. We've had three girls come in who were professingly not Christian, um, definitely wanting nothing to do with it, worried about working for us because they thought it might be too Christian of a company, and by two, three months in, became devoted followers of Christ. I've gotten to baptize a couple of them, and so it's been a really wonderful journey to just walk with these girls as they're exploring faith and to offer a tool like Jesus Calling where where it's so accessible. It's the very sweetest, most loving heart of God devotional I could possibly imagine. And every single day, these girls feel so loved by the words and that emotional. I have 12 women working for me right now and every single one of them is vulnerable to an economic downturn and you know and especially if if I had to do any layoffs. And so right when COVID hit the Lord told me to let him work and to not let go of any of our employees. You know, in the same day we lost every single revenue stream. All of our revenue at that point was coming from pop-up shops and fundraisers and so I got on my knees <laughs> because I know there is only one way to get needs met, and that is through prayer. And I started praying really specific prayers, like, Lord, I need this much money. (laughs) Lord, I need you to provide some sort of revenue stream that is this much. And I mean, I started asking for very specific numbers even from him. And what was so incredible is that, man, he is so faithful to the people he loves, especially the vulnerable, especially those girls and so as soon as i would ask he would provide and it's been an unbelievable year of seeing those really specific prayers met with really specific needs and it's not like i'm praying for like favor and abundance you know i'm praying just to get my girls fed i'm praying just to make sure that that we meet payroll i'm praying that these girls don't end up homeless i'm praying that they don't go back to traffickers and so i'm not like a name it and claim it person i'm not someone who says just ask for it and god'll give it but when it comes to meeting the needs of his beloved of his of his people, he is so faithful.
0: Bill Fister, Senior Regional Director of Operation Christmas Child for the Americas and the Caribbean.
5: My heart's desire is to see people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to live for Him, uh, to make Him known, and so my desire is to see as many people as possible come to know Christ and grow in Him. And that's exactly what we're able to do by God's grace through Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child is a mission of Samaritan's Purse, and what we want to do is to provide God's love, to demonstrate God's love in a tangible way to needy children around the world and coming alongside the local church worldwide to share the good news of Jesus Christ and it really is such an unusual ministry that I believe was born in the heart of God to connect churches and what we call sending countries with churches and receiving countries and it all starts with a shoebox when friends or family members or local church come together and pack gift boxes and then send them overseas where a child is able to hear Uh, about uh, the good news of Jesus. In a local church, uh, they are taught that Jesus is the greatest gift they can ever receive. And then as, again, a tangible expression of God's love, we give these shoebox gifts to the children uh, as we explain to them that Christ is the greatest gift. Uh, So children all over the world, about 11 million a year, And around 120 different countries have an opportunity to participate in this ministry. About 80,000 local churches around the world in these 120 countries participate with us every single year. And so our goal is to see as many children and their families impacted by the good news of the gospel and to see the local church grow as a result of this. And so we talk a lot about evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication as churches grow, as children learn to share their faith with family and friends, and as the local churches grow. Anyone can pack a shoebox gift. And we have people in, in many different countries that pack shoebox gifts. So the United States, uh, Canada, United Kingdom, Uh, Australia, Germany, Spain, South Korea, Finland. Uh, And so anybody can pack a shoebox gift and participate uh, in this ministry. And so you can put school supplies, toys, hygiene items. I've seen so many children pull stuffed animals and dolls out of their box. And they're just so thrilled because many of these children have never received a gift in their entire lives. Soccer balls and pumps for them also make uh, great gifts. Uh, We've even seen some of the most unusual things come in a shoebox, but you could tell that God designed that gift uh, for that particular child. Uh, I've seen ski gloves, winter snow skiing gloves, Uh, delivered to children in Africa. And you might think, well, that's really not going to be helpful at all. But the particular child that received the gloves said it was the perfect gift for him because his job was to help move the food in a cooking pot off of the fire to the table where it was served. And these gloves would prevent his arms from being burned. And uh, I remember hearing about a child in Colombia, in South America, that interestingly, was hearing impaired and found hearing aids in his shoebox. Now, the the thing that we wonder about is, well, did they fall out of somebody's ears and into the box by accident? Or did somebody purposely put them there? But what I know is that in God's plan, uh, they arrived to just the right person at just the right time. So anybody can pack a shoebox. Uh, And school supplies, toys, hygiene items are are so appreciated. And so again, we're seeing God just do incredible things through evangelism, through discipleship. And we say multiplication because then the church begins to grow. Uh, Unreached people groups are contacted with the gospel. Children learn how to share the good news with others Uh, that's a little bit about the scope of operation christmas child
0: pastor of the los angeles dream center matthew barnett
6: my name is matthew barnett i'm the pastor of the los angeles dream center and we are open 24 hours a day helping people seven days a week who are homeless going through drug and alcohol recovery or in any type of need We house 700 people every day who are homeless, families that are homeless, people that have drug and alcohol addictions that we take in every second of the day, literally. You know, LA is expensive. Everyone's two weeks away from being evicted. And we're, it's just constantly taking in families, homeless veterans. And th- these are the kind of people, and every program that we built at the Dream Center is one year. And the reason why it's one year is because we want to give people the luxury of time to change. When people don't have time To change, they act in desperation. So we just try to take away that survival mindset and get them into a place they can take a deep breath, they can get into the Word of God, they can start growing as people, and then they can start rebuilding their lives. You know, we have 275 men and women in our drug and alcohol rehab program, and we also take in 30 people a month that are sentenced to us to the Dream Center instead of the prison sentence. So we're dealing with prison reform and then homeless families. We got about 220 people that are families that are homeless that um, have nowhere to go. They show up in their cars, precious little children. There's someone to pray for them, to hold their hand through the process, helping them get to point A to point B in their journey. And so I think that the strongest element is, is that time aspect to see God begin to evolve in their life. You know, we've used so much great curriculum, a Jesus Calling, it's been a part of our recovery programs and just people come into the program and detox, they're learning how to communicate with God, learning how to hear the voice of God, learning how God speaks to people. And so we just incorporate it into our recovery program. Here's a passage from January 5th of Jesus Calling. You can achieve the victorious life through living in deep dependence on me. People usually associate victory with success not failing or stumbling not making mistakes but those who are successful in their own strength tend to go their own way forgetting about me it is through problems and failure weakness and neediness that you learn to rely on me true dependence is not simply asking me to bless what you have decided to do it is coming to me with an open mind and heart inviting me to plant my desires within you I may infuse you within a dream that seems far beyond your reach. You know that in yourself you cannot achieve such a goal. Thus begin your journey of profound reliance on me. It is a faith walk, taken one step at a time, leaning on me as much as you need. This is not a path of continual success, but of multiple failures. However, each failure is followed by a growth spurt, nourished by increased reliance on me. Enjoy the blessedness of a victorious life through deepening your dependence on me. You can stress over the many that don't make it, and many do go back to their drug addiction, and not everyone succeeds who comes to our program, but I try to focus on the ones that do make it, and that's what keeps me going. 25 years, you go through a series of emotions. You go through wanting to quit. You actually go through the scenarios of your exit strategy. I mean... You go through a lot in those moments, and usually, when when I'm dealing with those moments, it's usually a couple things that cause me to get to that place. Number one, to be honest with you, as a pastor, there's times I get away from the spiritual disciplines, and I know that sounds crazy and very vulnerable, but um, I get in a busy doing a lot of things, and I forget to encourage myself in the Lord and get great resources to help me, and and uh, I just kind of I get tough in the flesh, but I get weak in the spirit, and that's a big difference. There's also times where Burnout to me can be a lack of vision, where I just get to the place in my life where I say, you know, God's done something so great 25 years, if it all ended tomorrow, it would be a great run, you know, and you get to that place where you kind of get settled in, in a level of uh, of success. It's quite a cycle in, in 25 years that you go on in the struggle and the journey of God bringing you back to his heart, and sometimes a wandering heart, and you get away from the the most important thing. You're, you're doing the urgent, but you're not responding to the important. But you can go through cycles of a long time of, of not being in, in the right place, and yet God's still blessing the work because He loves the people you're trying to serve, and He'll still use you anyways. <laughs> it's truly extraordinary what happens, and we just kind of got started and believed that miracles would come along the way.
0: Rebecca Smith, founder of Better Life Bags.
7: So that summer, just knowing I have a lot of free time on my hands now before this baby comes, I made myself a diaper bag, picked out some fabric that matched his nursery, got together with a friend and we spent all day just making this diaper bag, posted pictures on Facebook and got started getting a bunch of comments like, oh, this is so cute. Will you make me one or you should open an Etsy shop? And I had no idea what Etsy was. This was yeah 10 years ago, 11 years ago at this point. So I then brainstormed like, well, I can do this. I have some extra time on my hands. This will be a fun little creative project until a baby comes. I have to have a name for my little bag company that I'm going to start. I looked around at my desk and my eyes landed on this Kiva gift card that my brother had given me for Christmas that year. But the Kiva website is a microloans. You can scroll through profiles of men and women, mostly in third world countries who are trying to start businesses of their own, like grocery stores or sheep farms or you know, side markets. And you can loan them money so that they can have some capital to get going. And it was just really, it opened my eyes up. And at that time, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could give a percentage of every Etsy sale and help fund more of these microloans? And so it just kind of was a really simple name, Better Life Bags. But for me at that moment, it was just this simple, I'm sending 10% of every sale overseas in the form of a loan and connecting the customer with this person who's also receiving money. So that's how it started. About six months in to this process, my husband and I moved from Savannah, Georgia, where we were at the time, to Hamtramck, Michigan. Well, Hamtramck is Michigan's most diverse city. There's a high immigrant population here. There's 26 languages spoken here. It's just really, really diverse. So we jumped right into this immersion experience. It was one of the hardest experiences of my life. And of course, I mean, a couple of weeks into that, I'm, I am find myself just on my bed, sobbing to my husband, Neil, and just saying, like, we've made a huge mistake. Like, I will never be friends with anyone in the city, which was why we had moved. We had moved to this diversity to get our feet wet, to see like, what does cross-cultural ministry look like? Let's make friends with our neighbors and learn their language. And I just I I didn't want anything to do with it. So I started this experiment of just staying in the city, like walking the sidewalks here, going to the markets here, In that time, my husband was learning Arabic from a man from Yemen, and he had a daughter who knew how to sew. And I also was doing this, you know, still making these bags and these purses just whenever an Etsy order would come in during nap times and after my uh, son was in bed. So he knew that I sewed and he wanted his daughter to meet an American. I invited her to my house. I was so nervous. I was like, I don't know how to dress. The women from Yemen are very conservative in their dress, so they cover completely from head to toe when we'll just have their eyes showing. I'm just going to try like, seeing why God has brought us here, because I felt like he had made a huge mistake. I wish that I could say that that started a lifelong friendship, but I honestly like didn't call her back for another year. It was not something I was eager to really to put myself in that situation again. But God was patient and he grew this little Etsy shop to a point where I couldn't do it by myself anymore. We had two kids at this point. I was working as fast and as long and as hard as I could, but I neither needed to shut it down and be like, That was fun, (laughs) but now I have to be a stay at home mom. Or I could hire some help. And I remembered this woman who We sewed together in the basement and I had her phone number still. And I just decided to call her up and just see if she could help me dig myself out of this problem that I had of too many orders. She knew exactly what I needed help with. She was very, very willing to do it. And so I started going to her house once a week and bringing my kids. And in the Arabic culture, they're very hospitable. So I was invited in. The first time I came over. And every time after that, you can never just drop something off at the house of an Arabic woman, she will invite you in and make you tea and cookies. And so it started this weekly rhythm of going to her house and dropping off fabric, picking up the bags that she had done the week before, and um, visiting with her, like you know, and letting our kids play together. And about six months or so into this routine, she says, come upstairs, I want to show you something. So I follow her up her stairs and she had bought bunk beds for her girls where before they'd been sleeping on mattresses on the floor. And then like a couple weeks later, she says, look, I bought this dining room table. And now we can eat our tea here instead of just on the couches. And I, it clicked in my mind. I was like, wait, are you buying this with the money that I'm giving you to make these bags? And she said, yes. She became our first seamstress at Better Life Bags. We've seen our kids grow up together, have prayed with each other, have like celebrated when God has done miracles in her life or in my life, and just developed this really beautiful friendship that I thought would be impossible. And started just this whole new direction for Better Life Bags. Like anything that's different than what we grew up with or are used to is scary if you're just entering it. But I, my challenge to myself and to people who are scared, I think anytime we are confronted with fear is of any sort of like race, religion, like any sort of difference is just meet somebody, like get a face and a name and shake their hand, get to know their story. To me, the goal in life, in business, in parenting, in any of it is not winning. Like the goal is not to finish first. The goal is to finish and to finish well in the lane that God has given us to run. CEO
0: of Haiti Made, Will McGinnis.
8: I was in the rock band Audio Adrenaline. I was the bass player and once our band had been traveling around the country quite a few times. We had been a band probably about 10 years or so. And we were trying to find just some new vision. We had done a lot of touring and we'd won a lot of awards. We'd won a couple Grammys, you know, number one singles and accomplished a lot. But at this point, we were just really wanting kind of a deeper Reason to leave home and to do things, you know, continue to do things. And um, I think that uh, we were also playing a song from our stage called "Hands and Feet," which was a very popular song for us. But we challenged people to go out and to do more with their faith. And here we were standing on stage, just telling people what to do. And I guess we felt convicted in a way. We didn't really feel like we were doing a lot other than playing our music and writing songs and and encouraging the church. So those two kind of ideas collided where we wanted to do more and we wanted to have a greater reason for playing music at that time and i guess that's how the hands and feet project was born we went to the country of haiti and that's just kind of where the lord led us He showed us that uh, we could use our platform to really champion some kind of cause in Haiti, some kind of work, and the Hands and Feet project would be that work. And Hands and Feet, the song, would be kind of the anthem around the work. And so in 2004, we went there, we pooled the band's money together and bought land, and Hands and Feet was born in Haiti. And we also found out that there was a great need there in the area of the orphan and abandoned child issues in Haiti. And so Hands and Feet Project would become um, a children's village to care for the orphan and abandoned children of Haiti. So we started talking about this from our stage, and we got to champion the least of these, the orphan and abandoned. And we felt like we were fulfilling James one twenty-seven when it said to look after the orphan and the widow, and that became our, our scripture for that. What we've learned through time is that there has to be a cultural exchange and there has to be a, we both learn from one another. Not that we come in with all the right ideas and completely just save them. Because Jesus has been there for centuries and decades, but we often come in and feel like we know what's best for these people and we want to help and have great intentions, but our helping can often create more problems. And so we want to do that in a way that's an equitable exchange. And there's just so many stories of what God has done. I mean, our older kids now are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Some of them have transitioned out. Some of them are trying to go to university. Some of them are starting jobs. Some of them are, you know, buying a house and they work at Haiti Made. It's the landing place for them, whether for a season or for long-term where they can really fuel their dreams and chase life. There's so many stories of these different children that Hands and Feet has been blessed and honored to care for. And we've walked through a lot together. We've walked through, you know, what it feels like to be labeled orphan or abandoned and and to be given up by your family. And we've tried to provide a real circle of care around them, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, and all the above, just to take care of all those needs and to see them really become healthy and well.
0: Thank you for listening to this special monthly series as part of the Jesus Calling Podcast. Be sure to follow the Jesus Calling Podcast so you can hear the full stories from each of these guests, and also make sure you get these special bonus episodes each month. For more information on Jesus Calling and Sarah Young, please visit JesusCalling.com or visit us on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.